Dan's not kidding. Uh, I really do love days like today. I woke up and turned my phone on and I had a weather alert and my heart like flirted a little bit with the world. And I saw this wall of green and yellow and red coming across Indiana and I was like, it's going to be a good day. So I was very excited to jump. Yeah, there's a few of us in here, right? Excellent. Yeah, right on. Uh, hey, I want to talk about something new today. We want to talk about friends and frequencies. I want to talk about the wavelengths that we meet one another on with the people who we find in our lives and the people in whose lives we find ourselves. I want to talk about friends and frequencies and the way that shows up in uh, your marriage. Because, I mean, hopefully marriage is at least a form of friendship. Uh, there's probably some peculiarities to that, but we want to talk about it for marriage and for the people you hang out with every day, for roommates and housemates and people you work with. I want to talk about friends and frequencies and the wavelengths that we meet one another on. Because there's different places and ways that we meet one another, right? So like, for example, you can have a friendship that sort of lives on the frequency of convenience. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Sometimes you just need some convenient companions, right? So I think about like, I don't know, you go to college your first day, freshman year, and you're leaving the dorm, walking to the cafeteria for lunch, and you don't know who you're going to sit with, and you just happen to discover that somebody else who lives in your dorm is walking to the same cafeteria at the same time, and they also would like to not sit alone. So it's convenient that you found each other and you're going to sit together, right? Not a bad thing. That's a certain frequency of relationship that you can meet one another on and you can kind of live at that level, right? Uh, what about like a, the frequency of shared interest? It's not a bad thing, it's a pretty common thing. We make friends, we find one another because we enjoy some of the same things. We like partaking in the same things, we like seeing the same things. And so you root for the same team or you have the same hobby and you're a part of the club and you find other people that share that thing and you're sort of standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, looking at that thing that you love. And that's a way of connecting, a frequency of relating that you could find in a friendship, right? Uh, well, what about, what about um, maybe a little more sort of questionable frequency that's actually pretty common for all of us. Like we could meet one another on the frequency of status. There's something that you do for my status, something I do for your status, and so that's what drew us to each other and that's why we stay together. I think of um, this girl who I found out liked me in high school and she was at least three steps higher in status in our class than me, right? So I did not ask myself for a moment whether I liked her. I just dated her, right? And by date, I mean we held hands in the hallway for three days, right? <laughs> the problem is as soon as we started holding hands, I realized I didn't like her at all, right? But I got what I needed out of her, uh, which was a little promotion in the social hierarchy, and I moved on. This was a while ago, okay? okay? I've grown up since then. I matured a little bit. I got what I needed out of her, and I moved on. Uh, you could say that uh, sometimes there's the frequency of uh, commodity, like friendship that's a commodity, I, I get what I want or I need out of this thing. Maybe it's not status. Maybe there's something else that they get from you or you get from them, and so you just kind of try to squeeze that out of the person, out of the relationship. It's not always a good thing, but a lot of our relationships really start that way because we are sort of needy, aching, craving people sometimes. Often that draws us toward one another in awkward ways. That can be the frequency upon which we meet can be the frequency that we stay at in our relationship. Uh, you can get to a point of like a friend as a bandage because I've got some wounds I don't want to deal with and being alone is hard. And so just having other people around is like a bandage that keeps me from dealing with those wounds. You can have a friendship of a certain kind of codependency, which is maybe something like I'm going to make myself a hero in your life. I'm going to make myself indispensable in your life. I'm going to make myself essential in your life 
by filling some need, by doing something for you, so that you won't leave me? This can be the frequency of friendship. This can be the frequency of a marriage. This can be the frequency of relating to one another, right? Now, some of those things aren't bad. Some of them are uh, probably a little bit toxic, not really helpful in the long term. But I just want to observe that um, all, of that, all, all of those frequencies, all those ways of connecting with one another, to use somebody else's metaphor that I've found really helpful in life lately to think about what we're experiencing, to use somebody else's metaphor, all those frequencies, they're not all bad, but I would say they're all kind of treble, no base. Or uh, to, to relate back to you what Ryan pointed out to me after the first gathering, it's like all Yanny, no Laurel. <laughs> all treble, no base. I know some of you thought we were done with that. We move on as a world. I'm sorry. Um, all trouble, no bass. What do you do when you crave a bass note, though? What do you do when you, when you crave, like, a depth in the frequency that you relate on? What do you do when you realize, like, all trouble, no bass leaves you with a sort of restlessness or longing for the ways that we relate to one another? That's what we want to talk about for the next few weeks. Because, um, because we are made for this, because we are designed for this, because our brains crave it, our social structures are reaching for it, because a depth of connection with one another is something that we actually, I think, uh, know that we need at some level, but we often miss it, or we don't know how to get it, or we don't know how to give it, or we settle for something less than that, and then all of life gets a little bit pale, right? Because isn't it like depth of relationship that makes everything a little bit richer? And and then when the good things happen that you want to celebrate, they don't even have their fullness in your life until you call someone or text someone or share a meal and celebrate, right? Even though like the gift was already given in your life, it was something about sharing it in that depth of connection with somebody else that made it real for you. Or when the difficult things happen and you know who to call or text or say, I need you to come over, I just need to sit with you for a bit. It actually sort of softens the blow of the hard things that come our way and makes life a little more joyful and endurable. We, we want to talk about this for a bit. Uh, there's a word that I mentioned last week that has helped me sort of get a handle on this. This comes from ancient Gaelic, and this is from an early experience of Christians in Celtic places. They use this word. The word is anamkara. Let's try saying that on three. One, two, three. Yeah, and it literally translates to something like soul friend. Like the kind of friend that you meet in the depths of who you are and the depths of who they are. That, that inner world from which you live, whether you know it or not, that we might call the soul. The kind of friend that you meet on that frequency, that you live your life with on that frequency. We want to we explore that for a little bit for the next few weeks. And I want to say again, I think this is for your friends that you go out for a beer with on Thursday nights. This is for the person you may be married to. This is for uh, maybe a couple of coworkers, and I don't know that everyone in your life can or should be a soul friend. I don't know that that's realistic or good. Uh, but all of us have a few people in our life that I, I think, if we're honest, like we would desire that we'd operate on that deep frequency with. And I want to ask how it is that we could get there, how we could live there with one another, what we should expect from that experience, and what's at stake when we offer that to one another, right? So that's where we're going for the next few weeks. You guys ready? Excellent. Right on. Uh, just, and today's just kind of a flyover and a bit of a teaser for where we're going to go. So I just want to crack this open by looking at a text in the scriptures where Jesus invokes the idea of friendship. So watch this with me now. This is John chapter 15. 
And Jesus here is with the people who have been with him throughout his ministry life. So you call him his disciples, his followers, his colleagues, his co-workers, I don't know. They've been at the work of the project together for quite a few years now. And this is John 15, and Jesus is speaking to them about what's really on his heart, and he says this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Uh, I just want to pull uh, like one and a half big ideas out of that today, okay, and then we'll keep working over the next few weeks. Uh, First of all, for the the one big idea, Uh, Jesus speaks here about friendship, love, and sacrifice all being threaded together right? Real, uh, real, real love is no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friend. Friendship, love, and sacrifice. Now, it's interesting. Um, Jesus isn't the first one to connect friendship, love, and sacrifice in the history of human thought. Uh, at the time of Jesus and before Jesus, friendship was considered a serious thing to work on. It was a serious thing to talk about. If you go through uh, like ancient writings of deep thinkers and philosophers, you find them working at length to understand and describe what friendship is and what's at stake in it and why we should pay attention to it and trying to describe and characterize it. So one example comes from a guy named Aristotle. Anybody remember Aristotle from a sleepy day in freshman philosophy? Right? <laughs> So Aristotle is writing three to 400 years before Jesus. Listen to what he says. It's interesting how this resonates. Uh, this is in a book called Nicomachean Ethics, which will really impress people if you tell them that at lunch today, okay? Uh, in his Nicomachean Ethics, he says, it is also true the virtuous man's conduct is often guided by the interests of his friends and of his country, and that he will, if necessary, lay down his life in their behalf. And this is doubtless the case with those who give their lives for others, thus they choose great nobility for themselves. So it's just interesting for me to observe, um, Jesus is not the first person to connect friendship, love, and sacrifice, right? But often what you find with Jesus, at least in my experience of Jesus, is that while he may not be the first person to speak one of these ideas, often with Jesus what you find is some ideal which has already been awakened within humanity is fully embodied and expressed in Jesus in a way that has absolute and utter integrity. Like that you and I might even have these same ideals. We might not have needed to read John 15 to say, it would really be good if friendship and love and sacrifice were woven together, but sometimes we fumble and fail at that effort. Sometimes it's an aspirational thing that seems to live very far away from our actual day-to-day experience. It doesn't seem to be what we actually give one another. And Jesus lives with absolute and utter integrity with this ideal because not long after he says these things to his friends, he does these things for his friends. He's not naive about it. He's wide-eyed and realistic about the fact um, that living with faithfulness to the kingdom of God will take him to an absolute sacrifice. He knows that the very same people that he's looking at in this moment, calling them friends, he knows that they're going to betray him. They're going to run from him. They're going to be fickle. They're not going to stand by him. Some of the crowds that rally around him and cheer for him and might even call themselves a friend of his, just a few days later are going to spit in his face and call for his crucifixion. He's not naive about this or unaware of this, but Jesus naming this best ideal that's been awakened inside us actually goes and does it. 
And so I just want to argue that like, if, if we are trying to take Jesus seriously, um, we have to take this picture of friendship seriously. And maybe the, 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 the richness or the depth or the frequency of, of connection that we're longing for is actually waiting for us on the other side of some sacrifices that we haven't wanted to make for one another, right? I think about a, a season in life that I've, I've talked about before uh, because it marked me so much. It sort of shaped the whole paradigm that I bring to some of these questions. This is several years ago, and I found myself with an unlikely group of friends. And I mean, like, if you would have known me at the time and known then at the time, you would have thought it was a setup for a dumb comedy. <laughs> like, Pastor Jason should not be friends with these guys, and these guys should not be friends with Jason. But through a long story that I won't get into, there we are uh, developing this peculiar kind of friendship together with this group of people. And I had this, this really strong, convicted sense that there was um, a, a reason that we were in one another's lives, that there was... Um, more to the story than just happenstance or coincidence or a convenient connection for a moment. And so I was trying to take that seriously and press into that and figure out what that meant. But the problem was the way that I tried to take that seriously is I started thinking my job was to fix these friends. Ever been there? Ever been on the receiving end of that? Don't point at your wife uh, <laughs> or husband. Um, on the receiving end of that's not very good, right? But I thought purpose in this friendship, depth in these friendships must mean that I'm here to change these friends, to fix these friends. And I just kept hitting my head against a wall. And I couldn't reconcile this deep-seated conviction that there was a reason that we got to be friends, that, that on one side, and the fact that everything I was trying to do to take that conviction seriously was having disastrous results. I mean, like lead balloons left and right just crashing all around me as I tried to float different modes of trying to be a good friend to these people. And you beat your head against the wall long enough and you might be open to a new idea, right? And so um, in a moment of desperation, I started trying to think theologically about this. And I asked myself, like, um, quite seriously, uh, forgive me if this sounds kind of Sunday school, uh, quite seriously, like, if I sort of boil everything down to the irreducible minimum, although I'm not a big fan of doing that, but like for the sake of clarity for a moment, if I just ask myself, what does Jesus do for his friends? The answer is really simple. Even when given the choice, Jesus, I, I would argue when given the choice, Jesus uh, chooses loving his friends over changing his friends. And the reason that I would say that is because when their very worst was on display, when you are seeing the absolute moral depravity and failure of character and brokenness in your friends like Jesus did, this would be the moment when they betrayed him, right? When they ran from him, right? When they sold him out, when their worst demons came to the surface, instead of like, like being super powerful or giving another speech or a sermon or like taking them on a retreat for some group therapy, he dies for them which is an utter abandonment of a certain kind of power in their lives, right? I mean, he's, he's actually laying down a certain kind of power in their lives so that he could die for them. And he says that's what the, the love of friendship looks like. And so I decided I will stop trying to fix these people and I will just ask God for chances to serve these people. And it never failed. <laughs> I mean, like with flying colors, all of a sudden, there were all sorts of opportunities to sacrifice something for these friends. And again, I know, I've, I know I've shared some of these stories before, but there's a lot of new faces around here these days, so I'm counting on you to appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would honestly pray. I would say, God, I would love a chance to just uh, sacrifice something for these friends because I think that's how I'm supposed to take seriously 
the fact that we are in one another's lives. And sure enough, like, um, uh, they were undergrads in college, and they were, like, in a philosophy class. And, like, I love that stuff. That's kind of where I like to eat lunch, you know, like, like in that field. And so they would say, hey, could you help me with a paper? You know, I've got to do, like, 12 pages on the nature of God and suffering. I'd be like, yeah, let's go there, right, you know? And, you know, so we'd set up a schedule, and we'd work for a few weeks on the paper. Nope. Uh, they would call me at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night and say, hey, I got a paper due. Could we work on it? I'd say, when's it due? They'd say, 7 a.m. tomorrow. I haven't started. <laughs> and I really, 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 really like my sleep. Like, really like my sleep. Um, but we'd stay up all night. And uh, I wasn't really happy about it. <laughs> um, but through these opportunities, like, I just discovered there was actually a sort of depth opening up between us. And this is almost a decade later. Actually, it is a decade later. And some of these uh, guys are still some of my closest friends and some of the richest relationships I enjoy. And they live all over the world, and we don't even see each other very often. But when we do, um, we feel that sort of deep frequency between us. And I can't tell you how rich that makes life. And I can't tell you how sad I am to think that I almost missed that. Because I, I didn't understand how it is that we find that depth between one another. I asked myself in reflecting on that experience, like if I were called to account for my life, if I were called to account for whether I'd lived with integrity, with who I believe God is, and who I believe I'm supposed to be, I actually believe that I will not be asked if I changed anyone. I actually believe that. I actually believe that as a pastor. I look around this room and I actually believe I will not be asked if I changed anybody else here. I do believe I will be asked if I loved anyone. And when that word love is used, it will be with a very particular character in mind. It's the kind of love that is sacrificial, that lays something down. I'm absolutely convinced that some of the depth that we are craving between us is waiting for us on the other side of a more sacrificial posture in our friendships. Uh, can I rant on my generation for a moment? No? Let's talk about little examples, because many of us won't actually be asked to physically lay down our life anytime soon for a friend. I understand that. But there will be little ways that we can die to ourselves and discover that on the other side of that dying, there's a deeper frequency waiting for us between us and those we love. For example, to my generation, and maybe everybody else, if somebody asks you if you'd like to do something, freaking commit. Say yes or no. Don't hold out for better options. Don't wait and see if somebody cooler has got something better to do that night. Just say you'll be there and be there. Rant done. Okay. <laughs> it's a little dying because I, I'm serious about this now, right? Like you're a little bit afraid to commit because every commitment, uh, to quote somebody much smarter than me, every commitment is an act of renunciation. To say yes to you, to that moment, to that commitment, to that time, to that hangout, to that meal, is to say no to whatever else might come up. And yeah, something better or sexier or more interesting might come up. But then you wonder like why we have these high-frequency superficial connections because we keep moving on from one another and flaking out and there's no depth between us. And I don't think uh, we're made for just treble connection. I think we're aching for some deep space between us. And I think it's waiting for us on the other side of some kind of sacrifice. Um, so that's the one big idea I want to pull out here today. And then... Uh, and then just a little uh, sort of teaser for where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Jesus is with these people that he's been with for several years. And there's a turning point, right, where he says, I no longer call you disciples, followers, students, coworkers, colleagues. He names a deeper connection between them. He says, I call you friends. 
And he also introduces something else in the moment of that transformation. So as he says, we are, we, the, the character of what's between us is getting deeper in this moment. He also names something else. Let me share this with you. Uh, this is uh, sort of in the middle of the passage. Uh, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. I call you friends because everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Now, um, I think uh, an important and fair reading of this begins with Jesus saying friendship with Jesus means being about the things that Jesus is about. And he is about his father's kingdom. And so friendship with Jesus means being about the same kinds of things. So I think that's an important and starting point reading level for that. But I, I think there's uh, something else to reflect on here. He looks at the people that he's been walking with for several years now, to Peter and James and John, Mary or Martha, these men and women who have been in his life for a season. He says what's happening now is, is there's a shift, there's a deepening in the way that we understand what's between us. And in that same moment, he names a third person in their midst. Uh, what I hear in this, the more I reflect on it and the more I reflect on my experience is that there's something to be said that the depth of friendship we long for is waiting for us. When we expand our view a little bit, it's not just you and it's not just me, but somehow we develop an awareness or a presence to the fact that this lives within the larger current of God. This lives in the larger current of God. Whatever you are becoming that is good, you're not just getting there because you decided to go there or because I pushed you there, but you're getting there because you are in that larger current of God. Wherever I'm going, if it's good, I'm not just getting there because I decided to go there or because you pushed me there. It's because I'm in this current that we call God. Now, if God's not a word that works for you, I think you could still meet me halfway on this because I think we've all had moments when we are with someone we love and we're listening enough, and we are present enough, and awake enough, and humble enough, and open enough to discover there's a sense that between us there's more than just the two of us. That there's a current or a presence or um, a resonance chamber for these frequencies that we are longing for that's bigger than us. And I, this is just the teaser. We're going to talk more about this in the next few weeks. But I think uh, we won't discover that depth that we are looking for unless we learn how to be open to that larger resonance that driving current that isn't just you or isn't just me. And then friendship becomes the way that together we participate in the thing that's bigger than ourselves. That's the teaser. Uh, more on that in the weeks ahead. Now, I want to take a bit of a, what might feel like a detour, uh, but I'll, I'll argue that it's, it's not really a detour at all. Um, but it's uh, something that I felt really compelled to do um, based on the week that uh, we've just had in the headlines. Um, so where I want to go next is to talk a little bit about uh, mental health for a moment and some of the darkness um, that so many of us are carrying. Uh, this might be a tender conversation for you. Don't worry, we're not going to do anything crazy. But I just want to say that's okay. If you need to breathe deep um, and relax and just know that this is an okay place to be whatever you are today. Um, but we've had two um, celebrity suicides in the week that just came up to this moment. They've been in the headlines. And... Um, Behind those headlines are details like the fact that suicide uh, has increased uh, roughly 30% in 10 years in the United States. That's the average. Um, certain populations and places have a more intense growth in that area. And by the way, that's just the ones that are reported. Um, and we are absolutely committed to being a good church for mental health. We're committed to being a safe place for mental health. And so uh, I'm asking a friend to join me uh, just to talk for a couple of moments 
um, to people who might be carrying some darkness, to those of us who love people who might be carrying some darkness, and to the community that we are becoming together as we walk together. Uh, this friend of mine, we worked together for years, which is one of the privileges of my life in that season. Uh, this friend of mine, he spent uh, years in the practice of pastoral care. Uh, he himself has been uh, a crisis counselor on crisis text lines. Uh, he's pursued training through a number of avenues to equip him to help others be great in moments like this. And so I just asked him if he would come up here and talk to us a bit. Will you please welcome Mark Waltz? Come on. Mark, thank you for, for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Uh, and I sh I, today I said that Mark's part of this, this community here, but I appreciate you giving up the whole morning and Tuesday night to talk to us. Mark, um, I've sort of shared your professional connection uh, to things like this, but uh, you also have a personal connection. Yeah, I do. Um, in my mid-late 30s, um, I found myself in a really dark, dark place um, with depression and over days and then weeks and then months Though I was with a counselor working through some childhood trauma, um, I came to a place where um, he discovered, along with my wife, Laura, that um, I was actually pondering, considering what it would look like to take my life. And um, so they actually ran a literal intervention and got me to a hospital. We were in the Northwest at the time. Mm -hmm. Got me to a hospital in Seattle where I spent 11 days um, inpatient and um, several weeks following that months kind of rebuilding uh, out of all that. Um, in the hospital, the first 24 hours, I still tried to harm myself, and I was, I was just in a very, very dark place. Yeah. Um, the kind of place you look back and ask, was that me? And the kind of dark place when you're in it that you ask, is this me? Yeah. Um, and out of all of that and um, the healing through soul friendships, that I've had over the last 20 years now uh, has been this place where I have a deep empathy uh, yeah. for people who are struggling yeah. with that level of brokenness. So when I ask you to speak to anyone who might be, I mean, maybe they're just feeling depression or maybe they don't have a word for what they're feeling, but there's some kind of uh, shadow that they feel, or maybe, maybe it's more explicit and maybe they've had some suicidal thoughts. When I ask you to speak to those people, it's not theoretical, and I really appreciate that. Mark, what would you say to people who are carrying some of that darkness themselves? Mm. Um, tough question in a room this size, this many people, brief time. So the first thing I would say is um, whatever your struggle and sense of brokenness is, um, good on you for being here. Because any level of depression, uh, mental illness, despair um, breeds isolation. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to push past that and engage this kind of space and so I'm really grateful that you pushed through whatever you had to push through mm. to be here. Um, secondly, I would say to you, um, it's okay to be honest about where you are. Mm. Um, and it's difficult for us to be honest because um, we, we make jokes and the stigma of mental illness stays high even from things we say to each other like, um, he's nuts or um, there's a pill for that or on your, on your, on your meds and it's just not funny and we've grown up with that in our culture and I want to say to you if you're on medication take your medication. Hmm. Um, I first began taking medication 20 years ago I'm still taking medication 
because I'm prone to slip back into a very slippery, dark place um, without it. Mm -hmm. um, you would take medication for any other illness. It's okay and right to take medicine for mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, I should add too, um, one in five Americans uh, suffer from some point or some level of uh, mental illness. Uh, that's in 19, or 2016, uh, 45 million people mm -hmm. suffering. Um, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there are people around who want to who want to help. Yeah, and just in case this wasn't already clear, I mean, Mark's naming his own history with that. If you've been here at all, you've heard my history with this kind of thing. And so, if you just wonder if this is a safe place um, to know you're you're not um, aberrant or a problem uh, because of that stuff, I hope you hear loud and clear. This is a really great place for that. Uh, Mark, there's, uh, there's direct help right, and a way to reach for that. Here's what I want to do. Would everybody in the room take out your cell phone? Everybody take out your cell phone. I'm asking everyone to do this. This is your pastor talking to you or some strange man you never met before on a stage when your friend dragged you to church. Um, but I just want to ask everybody to take out your phone. Here's the thing. Many in this room may not need these numbers yourself, but most of us at some point in life, whether we know it or not, will be in proximity to somebody who could use quick access to the help that's waiting on the other end of these numbers. And I don't know why we wouldn't all just have them with us, right? So the first number, 1-800-273-8255, uh, is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's a phone number you can call and talk to someone and hear a voice on the other end of the line. These are people who are really well trained to help you in that moment. And then if you'd rather text or if somebody that you know would rather text when they're struggling, you can text the, number, or the word HOME to 741 741, and that's a crisis text line where you can text with someone who can help. And Mark, you've actually worked on the crisis text line, right? Yeah, uh, for a number of months, almost a year. Um, a lot of training with that, and uh, yeah, and a lot of brokenness to respond to. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, and I hope you hear it too. Like, in Mark and I sharing our stories, like we're here as flesh and blood examples that things really do get better. Um, I know in my experience, finding the right help can take a long time. And then it can take a long time for the help to start helping. Um, it can be frustrating. It can take a lot of patience. Um, but I, I, I don't want to speak for you, Mark. I'd say um, I'm endlessly grateful um, that with the help of some other people, like I held on to at least a shred of hope that it gets better. And I'm here today, and you are too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you want to say to people who um, who are near someone, who love someone, who's carrying some of this darkness. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to say to those of you in the room who um, you lost someone to a suicide, family, friend, um, if you've heard it before, here again. If you're not here for the first time, it's not on you. Um, as painful as it is, and the many questions that you've asked, what did you miss? What could I have done? Um, it's, it's difficult, sometimes even impossible, to sense, to know, to grasp what's happening. And um, it's not on you. At the same time, I would say, suicide is preventable. Hmm. Um, and that's the effort all of us carry when we carry phone numbers like this with us to be helpful to someone. Um, I would say, uh, first of all, there's got to be space that is safe in a relationship. There's got to be this practice of presence where someone knows that you, you are safe, where you've offered friendship 
that Jason's talked about that's at a base level that allows you to ask things like, are you having suicidal thoughts? Do you desire to take your life? And, and hear this, you asking that question will not plant an idea that will cause someone to then act. Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, yeah, thing to hear from somebody like you who knows what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, if they already have the idea, honestly, your question might be the first time anyone's asked. And the first opportunity they've actually felt permission and courage enough to say, yes, I've thought about it or I'm thinking about it, which is a huge step for someone mm -hmm. to say out loud. Uh, secondly, if the answer to that question is yes, then, then there really are just four of these questions that kind of help through this risk ladder to assess where someone is in this crisis. And the second one is, um, do you have a plan? How would you, how would you do this? And if they describe to you a plan, I have, I'm planning on taking medicine or pills or drugs or I have a gun or I, then the third question would be, do you have means to those things? Do you have the pills? Do you have the gun? If the answer is, again, yes, then really this is becoming quite urgent. Do you intend to take your life for the next 24 hours? What is the level of crisis? And if the answer to that is yes, then if you're talking by phone, it's keep the person on the phone. Um, find a way to get help to them if you can't go directly. This is not a time to have conversation about would you consider. This is I'm coming to you if you're close to them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm driving to you now. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to get you help. That's the kind of intervention that's needed. If you can't get to them, then it's call the police. Yeah. And, um, civil servants will arrive to provide safety and get them somewhere where they can get help. I should say too, if you're wondering where to get help, uh, Oaklawn is right here downtown South Bend. Um, people I know and love have spent time there. I've spent time there. And it is, uh, to begin with, a safe place. And uh, there's 24-7 access there. And if you're trying to get yourself some help or take somebody else to get some help, um, they're right there. Right? If you can't get there, hospitals in general are not a terrible place to go. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what do you want to say uh, to us as a community about, um, you know, I, I should say, I, I don't know that um, we'll solve all of this at Southland City Church, right? But we can get better, right? We, we can always have our eye on what kind of a community creates better conditions for healing. What do you want to say to us? So Brene Brown um, talks about creating safe containers. Mm -hmm. And of all places and spaces that ought to be a safe container, Shouldn't it be a faith community? Shouldn't it be the church? And what Bernays talking about is a space where vulnerability is not just talked about or welcomed, but it's practiced. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for all of us to be honest in appropriate ways in soulful relationships about our own brokenness. Mm -hmm. We can't say we're gonna meet someone where they are and then not journey with them, sit with them out of a sense of empathy because we're understanding our own brokenness. Um, we may not share our level of brokenness with everyone in the space, in the room, but somewhere inside this community, we should have someone, we ought to have someone yeah. with whom we can be vulnerable, transparent with our own brokenness, which honestly opens me up then yeah. to listen and be tuned in to the brokenness of other people. Yeah. 
Um, a little bit about sort of right-sizing expectations here. It's important to say this too, I think. Um, if somebody had a heart attack uh, during our gathering, right, uh, I, we would certainly pray, but I wouldn't like body block a physician and be like, pastor's here, I got this, right? Like that would be absurd. Uh, we would want a medical professional to give the best kind of medical help. Uh, that's also the case uh, for mental health around here. So we want to be a great community for mental health. Um, those of us on staff have um, maybe a little better than average awareness of uh, what makes for good mental health and what to do when we're struggling. Uh, but on, like, I'm, not a, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and right now nobody on our staff is. So I want you to know that like, the, our commitment to you is we will help you find the right kind of help, but I or somebody in my staff may not be um, the right kind of help. Uh, we already have a sort of burgeoning network of mental health professionals that we're in con connection with as a church, and we're getting to know more and more of them and looking for ways that we can just make sort of safe handoffs so that you'll be in good hands and we can help you make sure that you're in good hands. But that's the right way to think about what this community is able to offer on a sort of professional level and that stuff, right? Uh, one more thing I want to say, um, Mark, um, so we're talking about Anamkara, the soul friend, and this is why this isn't as disconnected as it might sound. Um, so Mark, uh, when I was really struggling with depression, and this was not long before I was hospitalized, I actually reached out to you um, because I knew a little bit of, of Mark's history with this, and he'd been open and sharing that story. And um, I can't tell you, Mark, what a difference it made um, to just have you present in my life um, you, I felt a little bit less like a freak, a little more hopeful that there was something on the other side of all of this because I had a friend um, who was present with me the way that you were, and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. You guys want to help me thank Mark for speaking to us today? Uh, we'll wrap things up. I just want to share this word from C.S. Lewis with you. Uh, he says this, friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It's the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of all the others. And I love that, and I don't know that that revelation happens in the treble. Um, but I think if we learn to live at the level of the soul with a few other people, that revelation is actually there for us, and it makes life really good. Uh, to wrap things up, we stand to your feet, and I think today I'll offer a sort, of, um, a sort of regular old prayer. And so if you'd like to join me in that, if you want to close your eyes or bow your head or open your hands, and uh, I'll pray for us before we offer our usual benediction to one another. God, you are the ground of all being, the source of all that is true or good or beautiful. You're the energy which sustains anything that is alive. You are from before time and you go beyond time. And yet when you revealed yourself in flesh and blood, you did so as a friend. And I pray that that would sit heavy and joyful with us today. That you have met us on the ground of friendship and that you are calling us to meet each other on the ground of friendship. God, if we have been living with one another in a way that's too petty or too cheap or too superficial or too treble, I pray that you'd wake us up and just realize that there's something much deeper that we have to offer one another. I pray that if it's been a long and lonely struggle to find a community, I pray that you'd sustain us as we keep looking for those frequencies that help us to meet one another in the depth. 
I pray that you would inspire us and convict us and empower us with the example of Jesus, that we would lay some things down for one another and discover that perhaps waiting on the other side of those sacrifices are the very things that we long for. I pray that you would help us to love well. And whether it's a marriage or a coworker or a neighbor or somebody in the house or a friend that we see on Thursday nights, I pray that we would offer one another this deep and sacred gift of soul friendship. We pray these things through Christ, and we all said, amen. Grace and peace be with you. I love you guys. See you next week.